helping you tune out your annoying workmate. You're listening to Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. Look, I tell you what, if nothing else, Steve Lancaster is uh, punctual. He said 10 past 12. He walked in at nine and a half past 12. Good to have you here, Steve. Head of uh, Community Rugby. Thanks, Steve. Um, gosh, NPC. Um, so many things we want to get through. Um, and it all sort of came about with um, CEO Mark Robinson the other day on breakdown saying it's not tenable in its current form. It's not fit for purpose in its current form. Um, in 2022, we launched a new one. Um, and I hate to do this to you. Well, I'm going, no, no, I don't. This is what you said in 2022. NZR made the decision in consultation with provincial unions to review the existing MPC uh, for the um, following last season, which was 2021. The consultation process has been extensive with a range of options considered and all key stakeholders included, and we're pleased with where the competition format has landed. Now, I said yesterday... I don't mind trying new stuff, and if it doesn't work, you change it again. You know, fast fail. It's good. It's good in business. So the big question, I guess, my opening question is: What for you is the purpose of provincial rugby in New Zealand? Yeah, I, I can't give you a really short answer to that, unfortunately, because it's quite a broad-ranging purpose. But you know, clearly, it provides a pathway through to professional rugby and higher honours. That's that's a really important purpose. But it's much broader than that, right? It's a it's a it's got a genuine national footprint, which professional rugby doesn't. We've got 14 teams competing in the MPC, 13 in the FPC. So everybody, everywhere in the country has access to and has an affinity with a local team. It also provides something really unique uh, to New Zealand, which is an opportunity for the best amateur and community players to measure themselves against and develop alongside fully professional players. So uh, that that's good for the professional players and the competence. also good for the, the aspiring players that aren't yet professional or may never be, but have the opportunity to play alongside them. So what makes it untenable and what makes it unfit for purpose at the moment? Well, look, I, those, I wouldn't use those words to describe the competition. I'm not sure that that's exactly the context in which, which Mark was quoted either. But I, I, and I don't want to speak for Mark, but what I will say is that we are continually looking at the competition across a range of metrics, right? So those comments would not necessarily have been directed towards the format of the competition or the teams that play in it. Um, but we look at the, the sustainability of the competition across a range of metrics. How does it meet um, player development needs? How does it contribute to the pathway? What's the, um, what's the financial footprint of the competition? What's the cost to compete? Uh, are we able to ensure that all of the teams are able to be competitive in it based on the cost structures that sit around it? What's the revenue profile, gates, attendance, viewership? Uh, and so I think you, know, you have to attribute those comments holistically rather than a, from a narrow perspective. It's an expensive competition, as you say, 14 teams, 30 plus players per squad, there's a salary cap of 1.1 million, Um, I've done a little bit of digging, I think only two or three can afford that salary cap, Um, pretty much every provincial union is going to make $250,000 to $400,000 loss this year, is 14 teams a sustainable thing? Well, again, that's a subjective question, right? And that is the, that is why we are continually looking at the competition and reviewing and assessing um, the principles that underpin it. So those numbers that you're quoting, uh, I'm not sure what your sources are, but I probably wouldn't have exactly the same the same insight um, or, or intel. But um, look, the, the, you're right, not every team spends up to the cap, and I think that's a really positive reflection of where the competition's at and where provincial union businesses are at. 
in that there are a number of unions that spend up to the cap um, and there are a number of unions that don't. And those that don't are making decisions within the context of their own businesses, what's right for their business, what's Well, the big decision is they can't afford it. That's the big one. Uh, well, again, can't afford it. Is, it's, everything is relative, right? So can't afford it in the context of their own business and in the context of what their aspirations are, in the context of the squad that they want to assemble. So um, every business is unique. That's one of the big things that we're, we're really mindful of as New Zealand rugby is that if you travel the length of the country and visit provincial unions, they've all got similar challenges, they've all got similar issues, but the context is different in every environment. It's one of the hardest things getting agreement around tables because there's so many fingers, there's so many threads, like there's NZR, there's Players Association, there's NPC, there's, there's Heartland, um, there's so much governance, so many different layers. Is that one of the challenges is getting unified agreement? Yep, absolutely. I, I, won't, uh, I won't pretend that it's not. You know, when you've got multiple stakeholders all with different interests and different agendas, it's very, very hard to get a consensus but ultimately that's why you have decision-making structures, that's why you have governing bodies who are mandated to make decisions. Uh, we will always consult broadly. We're in constant engagement with uh, particularly the provincial unions, also the Players Association, Sky, our broadcast partner. Um, we don't always achieve 100% collective buy into everything that we need to do, but that's the, that's the, the mandate that NZR has is to make decisions in the best interest of the game. I mentioned that most PUs will make a loss this year. I want to talk about the Silver Lake thing. Every PU basically got a million dollars. Some unions were forced to just give that straight to the bank to keep get them out of the poos. Let's <laughs> just put it that way, get them out of the poos. Some have held on to the whole lot. Some have had to invest a little bit. But the big attraction for Silver Lake for provincial unions was the legacy fund, which was rumoured to be $60 million. And that legacy fund was going to grow and help with the growth of, of that grassroots. If, and I'll put to you if, and I don't know whether you can do this, if you gave every provincial union half a million dollars each year, they can all spend up to their salary cap, which would help with parity, wouldn't see Southland and Manawatu and, and those teams always at the foot of the table, could buy a couple of players. Um, could we entertain 500,000 across 14 teams is 7 million of that 60, and that 60 will carry on growing and will just ease? Because provincial unions aren't there to make profit. As you, as you rightly say, it's there to provide opportunities. But nearly all of them are financially so hamstrung. Can that legacy fund be tapped into? So the legacy fund, uh, and the number you've, you've um, quoted is, is correct, it's a $60 million legacy fund, it's an endowment fund that will be established when the second tranche of um, Silver Lake Investment comes in, um, but we've been very clear about the purpose of that fund and that is to invest in the health of the game at a community level, uh, it is not to prop up uh, professional payrolls. Uh, it's interesting that you talk about um, if NZR could, could give a contribution to the professional payroll of every um, team. Oh, I know you already team. do. We already do, yeah, right? And yeah. it's in the vicinity of the number that you just mentioned. Um, but the salary cap currently is set at a, a level that's quite a bit higher than that, right? Mm. Um, and we're not suggesting that it, that it should be brought down to that level by, by any measure. Um, but we would not want to see the legacy fund um, being diminished. And at the level that you just talked about, I mean, it, it's unlikely it would generate sufficient returns, so it would, would get eaten up pretty quickly. We want to see that fund generating returns so that we don't eat into the initial endowment amount of $60 million and the returns on that fund over time get invested back into the community game. Things like 
um, you know, um, all-weather playing surfaces, floodlit grounds, uh, gender-neutral or, or multi-gender changing rooms and facilities. Those are the sort of things that we see the, the fund being invested into. I want to switch to a lot of the observations slash concerns slash ideas that our listeners and the general public have got. Again, unsubstantiated, but I'm led to believe every time Wellington play at Sky Stadium, they lose 50 grand. Eden Park wouldn't be cheap to play at. Uh, we got an anonymous text saying yesterday that Otago are looking to leave Forsyth Bar. They just can't afford to keep playing there. Optics is a big thing for me. People say, look, they support First 15 rugby. Look at the crowds. Look at the atmosphere. Why can't we have that at NPC? 4,000 people go to a First 15 game. 4,000 people go to a Waikato game. One looks alive, one looks dead. What are your thoughts on Boutique Stadiums? We're starting to see it a little bit. We've got Onyinawa Devane involved. We've got the Hut Rec going to be involved. I love that. Did that come from you guys, or is that being forced because of the financials on the provincial unions? Um, so first thing I'll say, or actually first thing I'll say is how good Onyinawa Devane. Can't wait for that game on yes. Saturday, Battle of the Bridge. Um, but no, it's been forced on us by circumstance and reality um, with the FIFA World Cup and stadium unavailability. But it's a happy uh, circumstance for us and that it's something that we're really acutely aware of, right, is that firstly the cost of opening up those big venues, as you mentioned, is um, often not profitable. Um, are we contract? Are teams contractually? Are Auckland contractually obliged to play at Eden Park? Every union's different, right? Every union okay. has a different arrangement with its with its venue, and we haven't got time to go through all fourteen yeah, of yeah, them. No, but that's um, um, no, look, it's 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 questionable in terms of return when you have those small crowds, but also the optics, as you say, are, are, are not necessarily well. They're not great. We'll admit that, right? When you see a stadium and it looks half full, even though you might see the same crowd at a different venue, and it looks like it's got a fantastic atmosphere and and a real buzz. So. Um, that's something that we're really actively encouraging the unions to look at. And a number of them are, so we are seeing more games played, particularly those daytime games where we don't need the, the, the floodlighting. Um, and so that's a real positive thing that, that we think we'd like to see more of, for sure. Daytime games, I'll, I'll pick up the points as you make them. Um, people love them. They say they love them. Um, they say they'd go more often. They can take their kids. Um, can you do a two, four and a six on a Saturday? Yeah. Yep, absolutely right. So, um, and again, we're, we're moving to more of that, right? So we've got a lot more games being played in daytime hours this year. We've got different times through the day, different kickoff times. It's still really important that, um, and again, working with our broadcast partner Sky, that we offer that prime time viewing, right? And so it's interesting. We talk about the optics of um, venues that look like they're empty, even though there might be reasonable crowd. And the thing that you don't see is the viewership, right? So Sky's viewership of the NPC has been really strong, and it was it was it's been tracking upwards as it has for Super Rugby, right? So uh, when when we when we look at the the broadcast product, that only tells part of the story in terms of engagement and interest in the competition. Um, but but we're really aware of it, and yeah, the more the more we can play those daytime kickoffs, the more flexibility it gives us to, um, to play in different venues. Broadcast revenue goes to NZR, gate revenue goes to the provincial union. Do you work with the provincial unions to get more people in the gates? Yeah, we do. We do. So we, we work with them uh, on marketing and promotion. Obviously, they have their own programs as well, but we definitely um, have our own activity. And again, we, you know, Sky are a critical partner in this, right? So when Sky are promoting the competition, when Sky are advertising the, the competition, that, that's effectively us, right, as partners doing that. So, yeah, we do. Because marketing promotion, in every one of your answers is the next question, because we asked, and that was one of the very strong themes, a number of people saying, they didn't even know the NPC was about to start. 
uh, until it started. And then there was a game on TV. They didn't know when theirs was. Not blaming you guys, but um, is it visual enough? Is it is it um, is it consumed enough? Is is there enough effort across the board to promote the NPC? Well, again, I you know I want to stay in my lane here as much as I can. But we you know we have we have internal resource for promoting the competition. Each of the provincial unions has their own resource that they apply both personnel and and um, financial budget. So, I, I would and again, I don't I don't know who, how people are saying that they're not aware that it's on because there are so many channels out there now through which it's promoted: social media, mainstream media, print, um, television, uh, and and importantly, every game in the NPC is broadcast live, and Sky are broadcasting games free to air on Prime as well. So. Um, if you've got a TV and it's on a sports channel, you, you're going to see the NPC. Um, what about the statement, um, which I, I must say I don't, I don't agree with, but a sentiment, New Zealand rugby only care about the All Blacks? <laughs> oh, well, that's, yeah, and again, I mean, there's, there's an entire um, team of people within NZR in my department um, whose reason for coming to work is everything but the All Blacks, right? So of course we care about the All Blacks, and yeah, we're immensely excited about the World Cup, and uh, and equally nervous as well as we always are. But um, so for a minute, I wouldn't say that we do not care about the All Blacks, but we care about much more than that, right? We are wholly invested in the whole game, right? And so the reason that our business undertakes the activity that it does, particularly around commercial and professional sport, is so that we can invest in the community game, and and we never lose sight of that. Does enough of the funds get funneled down to the community game? Well, we think that it does, right? So, I mean, there, there, there are simply um, fixed costs in terms of standing up professional activity which generates the income, and so there's, there's a necessity to be investing in that and continuing to invest in, in that to ensure we've got the right products and got teams that are capable of winning, that we retain the right talent in this country. Um, but once those costs have been met, generally we're pumping... Um, the the what the, the the remainder of that back into the community game right and a big part of that is through provincial union funding so this year we'll fund um, the 24 unions to the tune of 40 million dollars and that's not an insignificant amount and in addition to that they've got their own independent revenue stream so there is a lot of money flowing into the community game and we're starting to see the benefits of that um, we're just we're just we're getting close to closing off our registration data for the season now and. Uh, participation numbers are really strong this year. We're, we're, we're back to pre-COVID levels or very close to it, depending on which you know which playing segment you look at. Um, and so, a lot of the the investment that flows from NZR into provincial unions is being translated into activity uh, in the provincial unions. That's seeing huge growth in uh, women's and girls' game, for example. Right? That does that doesn't just happen without resource. Right? You have to actually have changing rooms and fields and administrators and coaches and and referees to enable that game to happen. And the provincial unions are doing a pretty good job of supporting that. Will the NPC always, how do I f- phrase this, <laughs> like a number of people are saying scrap Super Rugby, make NPC a 20 week long competition, bring the Aussies into that, get the tribalism back which is slowly dripping away with the, with the NPC. Could we do something radical like that or could we play the NPC underneath Super Rugby, that's my personal favourite, and have... Wellington versus Canterbury is a curtain raiser to the Hurricanes versus Crusaders, and players can go in and out of their their feeder teams. How radical can you be? How radical are you prepared to be? Well, nothing's impossible. Uh, so, so all of the answer to all of those could we questions is yes, um, but there are choices to to be made. There are consequences that come with choices. And as you uh, said at the head of this interview, trying to find unanimous agreement amongst. 
um, a range of diverse stakeholders is pretty challenging and so that's the tightrope that we continually navigate is um, the, um, the attraction to status quo to what we have versus the, the pull towards um, doing things differently and, and how that might change things for better or for worse and again we're constantly engaged in those conversations but they're not easy conversations to have because there are a lot of stakeholders and they've all got to say. It's sort of, I was going to say, are we agile enough to make quick changes, um, dramatic changes? I think there's a desire there, but the agreement is the thing that will stop it. Yeah, and again, you know, we, the, the response in terms of how agile we are is different depending on which level of the game you talk about. And we're lucky with domestic competitions that we can be very agile, right? So if we, if we see a need uh, for change, um, we have good stakeholder alignment to make that change, then we have the ability to do that because... It exists within a relatively closed system, which is New Zealand. If you talk about uh, super rugby, professional rugby and international rugby, much more complex because you've got international partners, you've got a whole lot of other variables at play that don't exist here. So we can be quite agile uh, domestically. Yeah, but we're still sort of behoven to super though, aren't we? But it's, um, I remember I, I did a Q&A session at a fundraiser with Ian Foster, and he won't mind me t- saying this, and after the function, I was just talking to him, talking about the World Cup, and he said his biggest his biggest concern was, since the COVID situation, our super rugby teams, it's just been New Zealanders playing New Zealanders and substandard Australians. Losing South Africa was a massive hit to preparing All Blacks for big international rugby because it's just the Highlanders and the Blues, and then it's the Crusaders and the Hurricanes, and then it's thumping the Reds and thumping the Waratahs. I know we're talking about NPC, but... Rugby in New Zealand needs an injection of something, and someone's phrased it really well here. Can you ask Steve personally some of the reasons why NPC isn't as successful as it once was? And I think it's dilution. I think it's the amount of rugby personally. Yeah, and again, I I know I'm probably sounding like a broken record here, but um, the answer to the question depends on what you're measuring against, right? So Mm. if if you're measuring the NPC success against um, gate or crowd attendance, then you would say that it's gone backwards significantly. If you measure the NPC success um, in terms of the performance of our teams on the world stage, our All Blacks and our uh, All Black Sevens, you'd say that it's still actually playing a really meaningful role because we're still producing players through our system, of which the NPC is a really important part, that are capable of performing on the world stage. I don't know if that answers the question. No, that's not. fine. Yeah. Um, I'll just bullet point some now. People love promotion relegation. We don't see any of it anywhere. Is there an appetite to get a promotion relegation somehow? Although, having said that, in its current format, winner of the Heartland, bottom of NPC, whoever those teams are, I think the NPC team just destroy the Heartland team. And I'm not bagging Heartland, but it's semi-professional against completely amateur. Yeah, no, look, my memory goes back probably um, a little bit too far, which is a bit concerning, but um, I remember when we did have promotion and relegation into the um, first division of the NPC, and no one ever came up, right? So you're no, right, right? No. The, okay, the bottom team in the top tier um, inevitably beats the top team in the next tier. Um, but when we look at the model that we have now where the NPC is a semi-professional competition, those 14 unions all have uh, academies, they have academy staff, they have professional coaching staff, they have um, venue agreements, they have contracted players, uh, and the Heartland unions have none of those things, right? They're genuine amateur uh, teams that are selected from their local club competitions. 
the ability to have one of those teams come up into the NPC and more importantly have one of the NPC teams drop down, it's just impractical, right? Like you couldn't wind down all of those employment contracts, all of those uh, commitments to, to partners and venues and the like in the space of three months and equally a Heartland team wouldn't be able to stand up all of that infrastructure in the time required to then be competitive eight months later in an NPC. Got a couple more questions for you. We're on news time. I can delay the news or we can play two minutes news and come back to you. You've got a <laughs> Not meeting. that I want to go, but I've got to be in another meeting, actually. I'm, I'm okay. a minute late for it now. Very quickly then, last one, which has come through loud and proud. We see it in the NBA, we see it in the NFL, we see it in the AFL, drafting, a draft system. The engagement that would provide of a televised live draft system, and I think that will address another concern, which is spread of talent, equitable spread of talent. Instead, of, And I know you're Canterbury man, and I have no gripe with Canterbury, but they win everything. And if they don't win, they come second. Um, Southland never win anything. Manawatu never win anything. Spread of talent, draft, thoughts. Um, yeah, so not, that's not a 30-second answer. No, I know. But um, look, at, at the fully professional level, it, it, it could be an option because you're talking about um, people whose um, their full-time occupation is professional rugby. Uh, but again, we've got multiple stakeholders in this. We've got a players' association who have views. We've got players themselves who have views. And there's a number of ways to skin that cat, right? So there's an argument that rather than having a draft, you just have um, whatever number of teams, depending on the competition you're in, that have really compelling, attractive environments. You have a workable salary cap um, that ensures that teams can't accumulate all of the talent and you let people make free choices. So at the professional level, that's how the model works. It works very much on individual choice and um, the, the, the competition between teams is on offering a compelling proposition. At the NPC level, um, it's again, you, you're not talking about full-time professional athletes here and so it's just not reasonable to expect people to not have be, be in control of their own lives in terms of being upped and upped and moved around the country at the whim of a selector. Mm, maybe we need to find a golden lake. That's what we need to do, <laughs> not a silver lake. Hey, Steve, appreciate your time. Sorry you're late for your next meeting. Thanks awesome. for coming in. Thanks, Daffy. Let's take some news.